So just to tell you a little bit about me, my name is Felicia Ryan. Um, I am a local Malden resident. I've been here for approximately four years. I'm engaged to a resident Maldonian who grew up here. And I happen to actually live in a house, uh, which is a duplex, in the Linden section with friends of ours who um, the husband is actually a very good friend of my fiance. And he grew up in Malden and his wife and his wife grew up on the South Shore like I did. So it's definitely a little bit of a Desi Arnaz and Lucy and um, the Mertzes. My, my friend's wife, her name is Lisa. She actually has red hair and glasses just like I do, so we confuse the heck out of the neighbors because I'm not sure sometimes if she's coming or going or I'm coming or growing. I am involved with a local group called the, the Malden Writers Collaborative. Um, we meet twice a month at the library in Malden to workshop and discuss each other's writing. I am also involved with, very proudly involved with MATV. I am a board member. I came on the board uh, this fall and I was through the membership. Um, I believe in the mission of MATV and I'm very excited to participate. Um, I'm also looking forward to um, this podcast. It's, uh, it's, this is the initial launch of it, and um, my guest today is going to be a good friend of mine. Her name is Maura Katugian, and you might recognize that last name. That is also the sheriff of our Middlesex County. Peter Katugian is Maura's brother, and I'm very familiar and love the Katugian family. So Maura and I are going to talk about civil discourse today, the state of it, how can we promote it in our own lives, and maybe some tips and tricks. And as always, my conversation with Maura is going to be really fascinating. So I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. So my dear friend, Mara Katugian, is a fantastic coach. She has a business called Coaching Through Conversation. And um, Mara's background is really interesting to me. Um, she graduated from Massachusetts College of Art and Design with an MFA in um, printmaking. And uh, she's been a visual artist for many, many, many years. She's a photographer, a painter. Um, and uh, she is actually married to a fantastic artist her, whose name is Marquetta Savet. And Marquetta has a gallery in Chicago, actually right across the street from Mora and Marquetta's home. They're really, uh, Mora, I met through uh, an organization that I got my coaching certificate through called Well Coaches, which is also local to Massachusetts. Maura frequently comes back home to the Waltham area, Watertown, because her family is still there. And uh, she's just got a really interesting perspective on things, I think, because of her background as a visual artist. I think because of how she thinks about um, subjects. So our conversation today is going to be really interesting, again, about uh, civility. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Felicia Ryan, and this is Hi, Felicia. My guest today is Maura Katugian. Hi, Felicia. <laughs> um, Maura is a coach. She's a dear friend. She has a fantastic business called... Coaching Through Conversation. And 
Maura and I uh, have known each other for a while. Maura is actually a New England native. However, she lives on the third coast in Chicago right now. And I've invited her here. We're going to talk about civil discourse, which sounds like a very fancy subject, but it's really just about how how, um, Maura and I actually are this conversation, but through the wonders of technology, I didn't tape it properly. So thank you for agreeing to come back. My pleasure. So we had such a fantastic conversation last time. I don't think we necessarily need to replicate it. But one of the ways of introducing the subject, I think I mentioned to you, I am also a citizen journalist here at MATV for their site called Neighborhood View, which is an online newspaper. And we are in the process, a group of us, um, along with a really fantastic professional editor, um, are writing an article or have written an article on civil discourse with a Malden angle, so we interviewed a local city council city councilor at large, Stephen Winslow, and um, I talked to an etiquette expert, which was really Ooh. interesting, and um, which overlapped a lot with coaching kind of stuff. And um, we opened up comments on the Facebook page to residents, and um, a lot of people put the civil discourse in the sphere of politics. Mm -hmm. But I think you and I won't necessarily talk about it in that lens today. But I think what I wanted to concentrate on with you is interpersonal communications. Mm. Okay. So when you think of the subject of civil discourse, what's what comes to mind for you? Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because the first thing, of course, I thought of was politics. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I thought of uh, Emerson and civil disobedience. So then I started thinking, what what is discourse, and what is um, what does civility mean? Uh, and so I just kind of gave it some thought, and I, I kind of, I, of course, in my nerdy wonder, my wor- nerdy way, I decided to look words up and see things like um, what civil means and what discourse means. Discourse, of course, is is um, communication. And that can be written, and that can be um, the spoken word. Um, and then civility, which I really like the idea of put, thinking of it as putting somebody at ease. So in that way, it, it really has nothing to do with politics. It just it seems like we end up having to use it for that because people get so, um, everything is so charged. Mm. And I think when we're having conversation, if people aren't in the habit or in the practice of pausing and really listening um, and being curious and being open, the first thing we want to do is prove somebody wrong. Yeah, what you're talking about, they have a, it's a, it's a, a psychological term uh, or they have like a communications term. It's called right fighting. So if your only purpose to have a conversation with someone is to prove that you're right, it may, it may, very um, benignly be part of who you are and your personality, but it may also be a way of asserting dominance over someone mm-hmm. or, or like the idea that a conversation is about some, someone's a winner and someone's a loser. Yeah. Well, and I think in what a lot of, a lot of us aren't comfortable with is vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. And, and listening. We, <laughs> yeah. And listening. And, and actually, in listening, we are very vulnerable. I mean, I can put a question out there, and I don't know what the answer is going to be. That 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 
can make me very uncomfortable. Um, and then I might want to strike back. I think um, last time what we talked about too, this is kind of related. So if it gets, if we're off topic, you can steer me back. But we were talked last time or we've talked before about the power of the pause in mm, how yes. in coach training <laughs> in coach training that was one of the things that I found really valuable but it was also the thing that I found most challenging um, the power of the pause and how to allow the pause in a conversation and especially with a coaching conversation where you know you have a client and a coach your part yeah. of your job is to listen so you have to practice the pause right and, and, and the pause being that space in between, which people get very uncomfortable with anything that's in between, any kind of transition. You know, they want to go right from here to there. Um, so I think being open and, and willing to, to cultivate the pause. Um, because in that space in between the conversation, between somebody speaking while the other person is listening and between that person speaking and the other person listening, in that space... Um, it can either be awkward or it can be a really valuable moment of reflection. And if nothing else, I think it can be a sign of respect for the speaker. Yeah. I think that a couple of the things that some of the folks that I spoke to for the article mentioned was um, some of the things you touched on, like putting the um, listener or the speaker at ease when you're trying to understand their point even if you don't necessarily under, like uh, agree with what they're saying. So they may be on the opposite side of an issue or, or whatever, but you're listening, you're speaking with the idea that you're trying to put someone else at ease. So one of the etiquette experts that I spoke to, um, she works for a company called Mannersmith, which is local, and they actually teach people how to have business conversations. People always think of it as a... Um, point counterpoint but it's actually more like a game of catch mm. how, how so I'm kind of curious about that so the way that I interpreted it was um, so you're picking up on body signals you're you're in tuned to what the other person is saying you're um, allowing for that space for the pause you're listening you're probably asking some questions um, and depending upon your personality and your um, your style you know, you may be more comfortable as a listener than as a speaker. But the way that you can engage someone, I find I do this because I tend to be a little more introverted, is I ask questions. And that allows me to find out about someone or have a conversation with them. Mm. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, too, the way we ask a question um, can really dictate the, the direction or the course of the conversation. Um, because we can ask questions, you know, why did you do that? Or, you know, in, and I think in those moments, what we want to do is be able to ask questions that, that are, are curious, you know, ask questions that we aren't already, um, looking to, um, confirm, I guess our own beliefs, mm. but actually asking questions. And I think this is one thing I would say that, you know, we've had a, a very strong friendship for you know, well, maybe seven years now. And the one thing I've always felt very um, connected to you with is the way you would ask questions to get clarity and insight. I never, ever felt that you were asking me questions to just confirm what you already believed or already knew. Hmm. 
Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, you never felt like I went, gotcha. <laughs> Only when I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> I Just saying that we've been friends for seven years, I was like, wow, really? Because uh, you've been one of the people in my life who I've uh, felt like instantly that I knew for a very long time, for a long time. So it seems like a short period of time as well as like I feel like I've known you for like ever. So seven yeah. years. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. I like that. Yeah. Oh, I, one of the things that we talked about last time, which I really liked, was how how do we see ourselves as responsible for spreading or reinforcing civility in our everyday lives? Like one of the questions I think I had put to you was, you know, someone listening to this podcast might be curious and be like, hey, well, that's great. You guys are like professional communicators. We do this every day. This is perhaps your skill set. You know, why is it important for me to be nice to somebody online or listen to somebody I don't mm. agree with? Right, right, right. That's, well, that's a good question. Why, why is it important? And one of the things that I was thinking about this I think I had mentioned before when we were talking about this topic, people don't judge us by our intentions. They judge us by our actions. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we may be walking around as a wounded person and we just lash out. Um, but maybe we also want to be heard. And the way that you are heard is is, is if you practice listening <laughs> So if you can offer somebody what you're looking for, it's sort of it's sort of like golden rule, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. what you would want to put out in the world, you would want to receive back. Um, so I think it's definitely skills we can all build. Some of us may have those instincts naturally. Some of us may need or want to work on them. One of the things the etiquette expert said is that their business was recession-proof because everybody wants to improve their communication, especially in a business sense. They want to mm. be able to talk to customers. They want to be able to talk to potential customers. They want to be able to help clients. They want to be able to manage staff. They want to be able to interact with their colleagues in a productive manner. And mm. if you don't refine your listening skills and perhaps even think about what your intentions are before you have a conversation, you're not going to be able to do those things effectively. Right, right. And I think it's interesting because as you started speaking there, you said, you know, how I want to be able to talk to my customers and what, what they also want to learn, and I'm sure they do in this process, is they, they learn how to listen. Uh, and that doesn't mean rolling over, right? That just means um, observing. That means being fully present. So, uh, you know, I think it's very important for all of us, if we can be, if we can look at the basic components of communication, of um, uh, curiosity, of clarity, and of commitment, just kind of the three C's, um, how, how important those can be to really um, being with whoever we are, being with whoever we are with, uh, being with our client, being with our friend, being with our family, um, being open to to listening and to you know to not judging to observing when we think about it in the business sense like you were just speaking of um it can be very easy in those moments for for us to think well our client doesn't really know what they want so i'm just going to let them know what they want and sometimes we have to actually really be empathic being empathic is part of curiosity being empathic is part of design thinking being being empathic 
is really part of civil discourse. Yeah. Yeah, that's great the way you brought that back around. I would say one of the things that I, I, would, I would probably like to bring up, just and see what you think of this as well, is this idea that, um, you know, we can practice being empathic, we can practice being understanding, we can, we can hold space for someone else, we can, you know, move forward with uh, really thinking about what our intent is in a conversation, but we can also hold good boundaries for ourselves. So we don't have to engage with people who are cruel or bossy mm. or mean or right. or don't are not going to participate fully the same way we are. Like there is points at which you can stop the conversation, you can walk away, you can choose not to engage. Um, I'm seeing more and more during the holiday season, folks just unplug. They take a Facebook pause or they take a social mm-hmm. media pause. So. You know, hey, it's great to practice those empathic skills and listening skills and really want to improve communications with someone like family members or with colleagues. But sometimes it's okay to also pause and and take a step back. Mm -hmm. Well, and that uh, the idea of, of asking the three questions, you know, sometimes before we speak, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Um... And, and sometimes it's interesting to even look at, I almost think the most important one there is, is it necessary? Yeah, yeah. That's a perfect because way. I was almost going to ask you to bring back those, yeah. that kind of the Buddhism or the Zen-like um, three, three ideas you ask yourself before you start, start the conversation or start a conversation, especially yeah. a difficult conversation. Absolutely. Um, because I, I think there's that sense of, you know, and here's what I would suggest for anybody who's listening as a, as a practice is to allow, just say, three seconds. When you say it, it doesn't seem like a long time. When you do it, it can feel like a lifetime. But three seconds between when someone asks you a question and you answer. And um, you, you, you had a great, I'm sorry, I just interrupted you. That was not very good listening. That skills. was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, you had a great suggestion um, about, like, so, say someone really pushes your buttons and you get really heated in the moment. Um, I forget if it was writing out a draft of what you would say back to them <laughs> and then <laughs> deleting it. Or tell me, can you, do you remember that suggestion? It was really helpful. Why? I don't remember it, but it sounds like a good one. Oh, yeah. Um, you had, so you had this great suggestion. <laughs> Here you go. We like to do this where one of us quotes the other one back, and you're like, I never said that. It How often like- do we do that? <laughs> We're like, wow, that's really smart. I said that? Yeah. You said this really smart thing, Maura, so I'm going to give you credit for it. <laughs> yeah, so it was, you know, so someone really gets you hot and bothered, and <laughs> I will use this example as family members mm-hmm. really, like, piss you off. They push buttons. And you really just want to like put, you just want to like nail them to the wall and put them in their place. So you write something out or you type out an email. Draft is a wonderful thing as long as you remember never to send your drafts. Yeah. Um, and you write out all your nasty little tidbits and all your zingers and, and then you ask the three questions. Tell me the three questions again. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Yeah. And something can be true in the moment, mm-hmm. but does it, is it true in terms of longevity of truth? Oh, yeah. Or is it true to the story that you have right now in this moment? 
Right. Well, and, you know, and that's it. it. Can you imagine every zinger you want to do? You know, we don't have to. And this is, I think, one of those things. We don't have to say everything that we're thinking. Um, in fact, I would highly recommend not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is hard. I think that really is hard for some people. Like they, yeah. they um, do you know the Myers-Briggs uh-huh. So the Myers-Briggs is like a personality test that sometimes executive coaching and the business world likes to use. And it's a lot about what your tendencies are in terms of your personality. So you can be a thinker thinker or a feeler, someone who sort of leads with their, with their thoughts around feelings or leads with their head around logic. And if you're someone who leads around your head with logic, sometimes your intent is to drill down the point until the person submits. And it's not, I'm sure some people do it with cruelty, but I think some people just do it, maybe they have ADD and they don't have impulse control or they're used to shouting out whatever it is they need to off the top of their head. How do you, maybe as a receiver on that end or even the person in the moment, how do you, how do you combat that? How do you stop yourself? Hmm. From responding to that type of, of yeah, or even if you're thing? the person who normally does that, how do you catch yourself before you you go there? Boy, um, slowing down. <laughs> Truly, and it comes back to the pause and it deep breaths. Right, comes back to the pause. Yeah, take a deep breath. Um, I think what happens many times is we we get in this place of I have to defend my idea now, or I will be thought of as less than mm. I will be vulnerable and I think it's really important to sometimes be willing again to to not engage to listen to be to be silent and that's uncomfortable for people I really love I mean you and I have always had great conversations but um, I think it was last spring I we we played with the idea. You had a really interesting um, drawing, your stick, the sticks, the sticks, mm. the bundle of sticks. Yeah. Um, and what I did was that, that really affected me. I saw it online when your wife had um, posted it. Did they, did she sell it? Is that why it was online? I can't remember now. I think she was just, um, I think she was just posting, just putting up imagery. She's an awesome social media. I know. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I responded to it with a poem because I just love the idea that, um, you know, there can be a conversation between art artists. There can be a conversation between works of art. And um, I had gone to an exhibit last year at Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and it was um, uh, it was... It was one of the French Impressionists. He was one of the early ones, and I can't think of. He did um, paper cutouts at the end of his life. But it was a collection of his um, his collection. So it wasn't necessarily his work. It was objects that he put in his work. So it was like mm. a beautiful desk or a vase or some really – he collected a lot of textiles and um, the way the exhibit was curated, it was all about why these objects were important to him, how he had conversations with them through his artwork, 
in that they weren't just things he collected. It wasn't just stuff to him. They had like real meaning and purpose. And then in some cases they had the objects and then next to it they had the actual painting that he put the objects in. Mm. It was so interesting. But I love that, you know, like we said, it's almost like you're you're freer if we're thinking about it in the sphere of the art, art world rather than in the sphere of the business world where it's, you have to prove you're right before someone shoots you down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, you know using the the Sheryl Sandberg quote about, uh, and I'm I'm not doing an exact quote, but along the lines of, you know, careers are not, it's it's not a, like a ladder, it's like a jungle gym. And so it's kind of the same thing. I mean, if we can treat conversation in that same way, it doesn't have to be one up and then you one up the next and then you one up the next and you one up the next. I you know, you're stepping on someone's hands as you're, as you're climbing. How about coming from different angles? And keeping in mind, again, that if we want to be curious, it's not whether or not we're paying attention to, to somebody when they're, when they're talking. It's how we're paying attention. Because I can be paying great attention to you, but still know that, boy, I have an agenda I still need to get across. It's funny because I, I am totally enjoying our conversation, but I'm like... There's two things that I'm distracted by. I'm I'm like trying to be mindful of our time so that we have enough time so that I don't. <laughs> but I'm also sort of glancing at our notes thinking like, I hope we cover everything I want to cover. So like, you know, admittedly, I'm listening and I'm listening fully. However, I'm, I am trying to multitask. So that, right. that'll be my little admission to you. And <laughs> <laughs> so the multitasking, which often happens um, that... You know, when you're having a conversation, I think we talked about this before, you Mm -hmm. know, talking to somebody and while you're talking, um, while I'm talking to you, you're, you're putting away your dishes and you're doing this and you're doing that. Uh, you might be saying, yeah, but Maura, I hear you. Well, you might, you might hear me. Okay. But, you know, one of the things again about not multitasking and about being present, uh, in that moment is that we open up, we allow the space for problem solving, curiosity, um, presence. It's so, it's so critical to every conversation um, that we are, again, not already, just, just listening to what somebody has to say. But how would we approach it a little bit differently? And the only way to do that is to be fully present. Even as much as I would love in this moment of having this conversation with you, if I could, I would have notes everywhere so that I could be like, yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, and that's a good idea. But I know if I do that, ultimately, I won't be fully present. And it pains me. (laughs) I was just going to say, where is your, okay, right now, quiz, where is your closest thesaurus? Is it, do you have it like in your hand? Is it like... it's in my car. <laughs> yes, I do. I have three. One is in my car. One is on my nightstand, and one is in my office. Oh, oh, okay. I love so we, my are we going to edit this part out? You had told me before you keep it in the bathroom. Oh no, no, I never keep books in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. No, that would. And you can edit this out. That would be something you would do. <laughs> That's true. Actually, that is true. Yeah, books don't, don't. Books aren't in the bathroom. Oh yeah, no. I keep books in the bathroom. 
Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a book by the Dalai Lama in the bathroom. Oh, <laughs> okay, Maura, pause, pause before you respond. Don't react. Go. Hmm. Is that is like? Kind? Is that criminal? Is it necessary? <laughs> <laughs> is that criminal? Are you saying that's criminal? I, I'm not sure. Well, here's the thing. I shall not judge. It just is. And you guys have a now. lovely bathroom, too, so you need like a little reading space or something. A little reading nook. Yeah. There was a movie that I watched recently. It was Trumbo. It was about uh, one of the writers who was um, blacklisted during the McCarthy era. And uh, he had a whole setup in the bathroom. Like he would get in the tub and he had like a special pillow and a whole like desk and he would take over and he had books and he was smoking and he had scotch and like... And I was, I kept watching it going, I would like a setup like this in my bathroom. <laughs> it was sort of like, it was probably like considered cautionary. And in my mind, it was like a how-to, like, how can I make my bathroom more inviting? Put oh, more books in it. Put more books. <laughs> put a table over the bathtub so you can sit in the bathtub. So, yeah. And, oh, my God. And have cocktails. And have cocktails. So one of the things I wanted to also ask you about, because I know that you work with different generations, um, which for me is, um, is not my sweet spot, um, but I have found it challenging in my work environment, sometimes with 20-somethings or younger. I just find their communication styles very different, and it's, it's always a think about the pause before you respond, um, but also kind of noticing what's important to them is way different than what's important to me sometimes. What have you noticed in some of the perhaps clients or even your experiences with groups or youth or whatever that you've found in terms of communication that do you see generational differences? If you do, like what are you noticing strengths? What are you noticing weaknesses? Mm. Boy, I'm not, you know, oh. I'm not sure I'm really noticing it a huge because when I'm in the room, I'm only doing kind of one thing, whether no matter what the generation is, and that's focusing and that's really listening. Um, I think it seems to me, with my work, it seems more individualistic. Does somebody feel heard? Um, have they been heard? Um, I'm not sure I'm noticing. You know, I guess I would say the one thing I do notice is that there's a younger generation that's much more happy. Um, sending me quick emails and texts with thoughts and ideas. Um, they certainly don't want to write. You know, I'll actually, I have a writing exercise that is part of thinking and, and, and processing, and that is painful. It takes time, but it's, you know, it's actually literally painful. They actually start shaking their hand because it hurts too much to write because they don't write that often. <laughs> I think, um, I think what we, what I have noticed at least is the impulsivity of their communication and that um, some of the, you know, if you want to be generic about a generation, the 20-somethings that I've dealt with, they come with a tone where they have a sense of entitlement and they're really good advocates for themselves, but they don't necessarily think about the impact of anyone else. They're mm. there thinking about them and their needs. And mm -hmm. they're really confused when somebody doesn't also see them as a priority. So like on the one hand, I admire the fact that they're really great advocators for themselves. But on the other, I sort of look at them like, 
whoa, 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 like you can't be first in line just because you want to be first in line. Like maybe mm-hmm. that's not how it goes. Like, like, okay, you're thinking definitely what's good for you, but what's good for the team? Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe advocating for yourself in this moment is not the best thing to do. Like, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Like the impulsivity of their communications gets in the way of those questions. Well, actually, maybe to that point a little bit is, you know, when I talked about commitment, curiosity, and clarity being part of conversation, um, the clarity is a really important thing, especially with work. Um, you know, it's about making sure that we are, we are understood and that we are understanding others. Um, and I'm not sure that that's always happening. I, I do hear a lot of, well, they just don't get me. Um, they're not listening to me. Nobody listens to what I have to say. I have so many great ideas. Uh, and then in that case, I, I try to really encourage them to, to um, you know, how can you, how, can you, how can you show that? You can't just show up and say, I have all these great ideas. Why aren't you listening to me? I'm not, as we're talking about this, I'm not even sure that this is really relating to conversation. No, I think what you're talking about, you, you were, you're linking it back into being an advocate for yourself. And again, thinking yeah. about like how your words are impacting someone else. And then ultimately, what's the goal of what you're trying to, to say or get done? You know, you yeah. want notice, you want acknowledgement, you want someone to, um, you know, uh, use your ideas, you have to be able to articulate that in a way that's also meaningful to them, not just meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. So it's thinking about who's the, who's receiving those, who's receiving that information and like, are they in the middle of 20 other projects and you haven't scheduled time with them, but you've just showed up at their desk and now you want to tell them about how many great ideas you have. Perhaps they're not going to be able to listen to you. You're right. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that, and I think I'm just not so sure that I'm seeing, and in, in maybe in my, the work that I'm doing, a big generational difference on, on communication. I mean, I would say that this, a younger generation doesn't, um, they're not as willing to, to pick up the phone and have a conversation. It's certainly easier to say, well, I sent them an email. I haven't heard back. So they're and not as practiced as the one-on-one interpersonal communication because I don't think of email as interpersonal it. communication. Exactly, and I think so. I think that's really you know I would say that's something I really notice. Um, you know, it's the it's not you know I'm I'm more will I'm more interested in maybe picking up the phone to have a quick conversation. Somebody else might say, well, I sent an email, I haven't heard back, so I don't know what's happening. Well, that's accountability. You know, yeah. and accountability is about setting up you know, what, what, what are the expectations um, and making sure that we all have a, we're all clear. We understand what those things are. Um, But just putting it out there that, well, they didn't get back to me and I'm not really sure what they meant by that. Well, then clarify. I was going to ask you, um, so having grown up in New England, you know, growing up in Waltham, Waltham, um, do you find it or do you notice that there are different communication styles from region? So from like a New Englander to um, a Midwesterner? Interesting. I, I do. And here, but here's the funny thing now. I just found myself today on a phone call with somebody from, the, from out east where 
I felt like for the second time in a situation like this, I felt like I was coming across as the quote unquote heavy because I just wanted to get some, I wanted accountability. I just want to know what are the numbers? Can you just give me the numbers of what we're looking at? And then the response I get is this big defensive. Well, we could do it this way, but you wanted this. And I'm like, I'm just asking for the numbers. So, which I think is interesting because all I'm doing in that moment is I found that there seemed to be this sense that I don't know whether it was I'm not one of them. <laughs> I am other. So you, so you as a as a former New Englander had a more straightforward style that someone else you were talking to, or you as a well, and that, well, that's what's funny is I would expect that the New Englander would be really straightforward, and I'm finding <laughs> that and because and that's what people always say, you know, New Englanders were just right you cut right to the chase. But I find that when I'm trying to have conversations with these individuals, I come off like. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of um, not just giving me the information I'm asking for. There's this long reason for all of the information. And I'm like, you don't have to defend what you did. I'm just asking for the dollar amount. That's it. Um, I would say I have clients that come in and they, they say that, you know, Midwesterners are, are so, um, so nice and really listen and are calm. Um, I've been here a long time in the Midwest, 32 years. So I I don't know whether I've become one of them or I've just gotten used to it. Maybe you always were. Maybe you always Maybe were I'm... one of them. Oh. I know you like to think of yourself as a saltwater person, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe you were always really annoying. Maybe you were always a really a Midwesterner at, at heart. And you just found yourself there. Um, yeah, I remember moving here and thinking, everybody seems so nice. What do they want from me? <laughs> that, okay, that's New England creepy. Yeah, right? right? You must there. want something. <laughs> I find, too, that body language is definitely part of communication issues. And um, I think some of the stuff that goes wrong online with social media is that we can't see each other. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't hear each other's tone. We may or may not assume something. And we also kind of forget, like if we're out about in the world and somebody cuts us off or someone's having a bad day or whatever, you can kind of write it off and you can kind of maybe say, oh, she's got a kid in the car. Maybe she's like harried or whatever. Like I'm going to give, give her a pass on that one. But if we don't see people, like how do we, there's so much information that's missing from the conversation. Yeah. So that's a great point. In which case, are we having a conversation on social media? Or are we having commentary? I think it could be both, don't you? I think it can be. I think there's a lot of times it's just commentary. What do you think the difference is? Um, I think communication is when, when two or more people have chosen to engage with the commitment to listening, pausing, you know, paraphrasing when necessary, um, being reflective. That, that's, that's a beautiful conversation. Um, when it turns into, I'm going to write this because I'm angry and I put down my comments and so there, um, that doesn't seem like a conversation to me. So you had an interesting experience in your life where you owned a store called Henry's. So yes. you had to deal with the public. 
And sometimes the public, we'll put that one in quotes, gets a bad reputation because they can be demanding or cranky or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your experience like in terms of, or how did you know, what, why, why did you feel like you were successful at that? Because from every account I've heard, you know, you have fans that are still like, Henry's, <laughs> we loved Henry's. <laughs> um, I think it was, it was a whole bunch of things. It was the environment. Um, it was the space itself. It was warm and welcoming and friendly um, you just describe yourself, my friend. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I guess that's it. You know, it's, um, you know, my wife and I, when my mom just came to visit for Thanksgiving, and we brought it to all of our favorite restaurants, every place we went it was lovely. The owners came up, gave us big hugs. Oh, it's so great to see you again. You know, and, and there's this real connectedness. And I think part of that happens because when the two of us go into someplace, we're not looking for a fight. We're looking for the best possible outcome. We're looking to have a conversation with the people that work there. Maybe they're having a bad day and that's okay. Maybe we can help turn that around. But I think people go into a lot of things, like whether it's a store or it's a restaurant, um, very single-minded. They, you are here to serve me. You know, I am the customer. You are here to serve me. And um, again, that becomes a very one-sided thing. So I, I really like, even if I go to the grocery, any grocery store, I am going to make sure that I stop and, and say something to somebody who's working there and, and, and engage in some type of a conversation. Or when I'm checking out, smile. And that was one of the things that I, I, I tried to do in my store is the, the, the thing is, people are going to spend money, hopefully. So when they're handing you that money and when they're passing, you're making this exchange. Isn't it nice if it would be something that's memorable and that they feel good about, that you both feel good about? So that when they go home and they're like, wow, I, you know, I purchased this pen or whatever the thing may be, there was a really lovely exchange that happened. It wasn't just a transaction. It was a relationship. I love all that. Um, so I'd like to wrap us up with the idea of, um, cotty wampling, <laughs> which is, is it a real uh, term? Like, and where does it come term. from? Yeah. Yeah. To cotty wample. Uh, I believe it's a British term. Uh, oh, please say it with a British accent. Oh, I, oh, that would be awful. I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you going to be cottily wampling? I'm going to be cotty wampling. Um, yes, but to cotty wample. So it's a word that just, again, came across somehow, somewhere. And it, it felt like it shifted everything for me. It's, the, the, the definition is to travel in a purposeful manner towards a vague destination. How lovely is that? I think that's our whole show. I think that was our whole show. So <laughs> it really was. We, it was <laughs> we were very purposeful. No idea where we were going with this. Um, yes. But that doesn't and, and so mean it's not really valuable, lovely. though, right? Well, right. Uh, because, you know, again, if we, the, the thing is, yes, if you had a very strict idea of exactly what you wanted to say on this program, then we would, I don't even know if we'd be having a conversation. That's the difference. We're having a conversation here. And to truly communicate through conversation is to maybe cottywumple. 
We're being very purposeful. We don't know where it's going to go. Isn't that the most beautiful example of curiosity and discovery and um, the not knowing and the willingness to be wrong? I mean, we, we take a lot of risks here. We are both, this is, this, I, I could feel quite vulnerable. You told people moments. I read books in the bathroom more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you said. Yeah, that. I know. Actually, only I'm... because you were accusing me, and I was not having it. <laughs> I was kind of. I'm kind of proud of that. I don't really care if people know that or not. And with probably there could be a whole show about bathroom setup and squatty potties. Oh my and, god! You know, I'm sure that's not for everybody, but you know. Oh, I need to cotty wumple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yes, I think. It's a lovely way of it's it's an alignment, I think, with the idea of um, of design thinking of of mapping out whether it's our life or our story or this conversation in a way that allows for um, happy accidents. Yes, it allows, you know, if if you and I had this grand plan of what this was supposed to be. Maybe you do, and I just totally missed, I messed up on you. But, you know, at the end of it, you could say we failed if it didn't come out exactly as you planned. But by allowing for this, this beautiful connection of communication that we're having, it can never fail. We can always learn from it and build on it. Well, you're awesome. In fact, I know that when we hang up, I will think of 30 other amazing <laughs> things I should have said. Just saying. So part of the podcast, we're going to have a web page. So I'll put additional resources and perhaps even books or things that we talk about Ooh, that yes. people might like. Um, I'll definitely want to remind people that um, my guest today was Maura Katujian, and she has a fantastic business called Coaching Through Conversation. She has – you have website, correct? I do. I'm actually – I know a lot of people say, I'm in the middle of redoing it, but literally I am in the middle of redoing it. Um, but if they, so yes. if they try and find you on online, will they, if, will it just say website is no, actually built? an old website will come up and oh, it's okay. still okay. okay. It's still like gets the point across. All right. So if they're yeah. so impressed by you and they want to hire you for <laughs> a coaching conversation, they can go to www.coachingthroughconversation.com. Correct. Uh, and, um, if, uh, if there's any sort of books or resources that we talked about, um, Maybe we'll explain to people what the asanga is and dharma because those mm. are those are terms I sort of have vague understandings of. Um, and I'll also be linking to the article on a Neighborhood View about civil discourse. Oh, beautiful! And um, asking people to respond or if they have questions, definitely contact me. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Um, I think you know what I sort of do. And it comes down to the thesaurus and the words and the idea that, you know, I really would like to encourage people to, um, to be open, <laughs> to let go of the cynicism. Even I'm sure there are people listening now going, well, you know, it's easy for them. Let's not assume that there's wisdom and cynicism. You know, take the time, you know, and, and just be open and pause. Just try it. If nothing else, practice three seconds between when somebody says something and you respond and see what happens. See how you feel. See if that changes. Even the course of the, the course of the conversation. 
I think it's also a basic human need to be he- be heard and be mm. seen. And um, if we, you know, exist in a plane where we're um, constantly craving that, perhaps we are never pausing to allow um, ourselves to do that for someone else. Mm, and that's like, beautiful. Like you said, it's a, it's um, it is sometimes about like karma and what you give is what you receive and golden rule. But sometimes if we're just able to slow down a little bit and not, you know, impulsive, you know, not react, not necessarily be impulsive, it doesn't mean that we have to be Zen overnight or that we have to change our personalities or, you know, we don't have to not get angry or we don't (laughs) don't have to not have a reaction. But perhaps we just, you know, allow some space so that we um, can feel heard and understood. Mm, Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I concur. Well, thank you, my friend. I really thank appreciate you. you coming on today and being my, um, I think you're my inaugural guest for Hi, <gasps> Felicia. So. Oh, my goodness. This is very exciting. Yes. All right. Let's just hope I don't think of other things to say. But maybe there'll be another one. We'll, we'll talk more. Yes. That would be cool. Well, thank you again. And my thank guest, you. I'm Felicia Ryan, and this is Hi, Felicia. Hi, Felicia.